We have some special guests in the building. Uh, the Antioch Movement, if you're new here, you, you know that we're not just one church that has two locations in this city. We're part of a movement of churches that is all over the world. And we have a few of the future church plant leaders of our movement here this week being trained and equipped as they are journeying towards their uh, process of certification. It sounds so official since Trey Green took over and you should just be like good luck guys you know now it's like there's an intensive and everybody so could you guys stand up if you're here doing the church planning uh intensive so cool thankful to have them here with us love you guys so much and uh, believe in god's gonna do some cool stuff uh in you and through you so if you see them say hi to them and they're gonna be a church planner so just go ahead and give them money because they're gonna ask you for it eventually okay well, this is uh, week six in our practices series, um, and I don't know what's been going on in your life, but I can speak from my own experience as God has been reigniting uh, within me these spiritual disciplines. There's been this renewing and the simplicity of just connecting with the heart of God and allowing the presence of God to really lead and guide my day, and it's been absolutely transformational and I want to encourage you to jump in with us. We have a weekly podcast called Practicing the Practices that you can be a part of and listen to where we really kind of go a step further in the things we're talking about on Sundays as well as we have resources on our website on how these practices can be practiced in your life. So take advantage of those tools because, again, these are not things that we add to our lifestyle. The practices, the spiritual disciplines are what we build our lifestyle on. And so what we're trying to do is say, God, would you allow us to seek first the kingdom of heaven so that everything else then finds its rightful place. We've been using Romans 12, verse 2, as our kind of launching point, uh, our anchor scripture for this series. As Paul, the, the, the guy who wrote this, uh, admonishes us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There is a way that the world deals with life. There, there's a pattern in which the world deals with difficulty, pain, frustration, success, opportunity. And there's also a way of heaven. There's a way that heaven deals with those very same things. And what the spiritual practices do in our lives is they point us in the direction of transformation. They're habits that when they're alive in the hearts of a believer, they take us away from the pattern of the world and they set us towards the rhythm of heaven. And I like to think about the practices being alive in our lives as having a holy rhythm that is alive within our lives of worship and declaration and Bible study and meditation, serving and stewardship, simplicity, fasting, tithing, generosity. And, and, and these are to be a part of the rhythm of our lives as we love Jesus. These are rhythms that are inner world ordering weapons. It's what the spiritual disciplines are. They are inner world ordering weapons. And Jesus spoke to the importance of order 
in our inner world in Matthew 6, verse 33, which, again, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. And there is so much fighting for the place of first in our lives. So many things are fighting for that seek first place within our lives. And the spiritual practices give us a rhythm, a weapon to keep the main thing the main thing. And today, we're going to be leaning into the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. But before we talk about it, let's do it. Let's be about it, all right? God, thank you so much for this incredible opportunity to open your word, to be a people that are transformed by the power of the Bible, living and operating and ordering our lives. Lord, we're asking that you would open our ears and hearts and minds to receive the truth that you have for us today. And everybody shouted because the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. Amen. If you were pulling for the Rams, you might not be saved. I'm just saying. The story of the kingdom is the story of overcoming, and this is an opportunity for us to wave the banner and say, See, redemption lives, you know. Way to go, Cincinnati. Some of you guys uh, may be familiar with the story of when I met my beautiful wife who's sitting here on the front row. I was actually at a wedding here in Austin, and, uh, you know, we were college students at the time, and it was a mutual college friend that was getting married, and so I'm with all of my roommates sitting at this table at the reception. She's sitting with her family, okay? We're doing what single college guys do, right? We're worshiping the Lord at our table at this reception, right? We are worshiping and looking at the beauty that he has created around us. Right, and so we are checking out the room and saying like, wow, okay, who is that? Right, right? So Liz catches my eye. She actually knew one of my roommates, and so my roommate was like, oh, yo, dude, that's Liz Mulkey. You know, you should go ask her to dance. And I'm like, no. You know, like, that, that's, that's not what I need to do. Well, they would not let it go. They kept hounding me. Come on, man. I'm like, dude, you got to ask her to dance. Well, she's dancing with her dad. All right, like, you don't. This is, not, this is not how this, this, there's an order. Seek first the kingdom. You know, like there's an order to things. And I felt like this was getting out of order. I'm so nervous. And, and I hear like, this is the last song, right? So now I'm getting the chatter from my roommates like, all right, dude, I didn't know you were such a coward. You know, I'm like, well, dadgummit. You know, like it's, I'm enough of a redneck where if you say that I shouldn't, then I probably will. You know, so it's, like I'm, I'm feeling this like, oh, I've got to do it. So I'm walking up and I walk up to Liz and I'm like, do you want to dance? To my shock. She says, yes. I mean, just look at her, look at me. Look at her, look at me. This is like this, it should not work. Okay, like supermodel, dad bod, beautiful, average, you know, like the it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so I am so nervous. And we're dancing, right? We're doing the the sideways shuffle, right? We're you know, in my brain, I'm going, say something, dude. Be cool. Make conversation. You know, like, set, set the tone, man. Like, this is your opportunity. You might never have this opportunity. Why is it when you're single, you feel like every moment is the only moment? If it doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. And, and so I am, like, dancing. And I'm like, dude, you got to say something. You know, she's, like, so sweet and just looking at me like, hi, hi. And so I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And so I look at her and I say, so, do you know who I am? And as soon as, like, the words, like, left my mouth, I'm going, like, 
oh, no. You know, I mean, like, have you ever, like, seen the words and you're just like, okay, yeah, there goes happiness in my life. Like, right there. And she looks at me puzzled, right, as you should. If some strange, average-looking, slightly chubby man looks at you and says, so, do you know who I am? She says, no. (laughs) And I'm like, oh. So then we just danced in awkward silence for the rest of the song. And from that moment, moment, I was like, you know what? This relationship is going somewhere. Like, there is a future. There is a future here. How many of you thank God for second chances, right? Like, so... How many of you kind of feel a similar awkward relationship with your prayer life? And you want, you're like, man, I want to pray. I want, I want to know how to pray. I want to do it. And then you like try to execute it and your attempt does not seem to hit the mark of your desire. Anybody else? Right? Like, and so we don't want to pray. You ever been called on to pray in a circle and you're like, gum? You do the old hand squeeze. The Baptist pass. That's what that is, right? The person next to you looks at you like, what would you do? You're like, you're going to pray. Like, uh, that's the past. You know what I'm saying? Like, got too many unspokens right now. You know, like that's the, so you, we, we want to be good at prayer. But then when we try to pray at times, in the moment, we feel like surely there has to be something more than what I'm experiencing. And so that feeling of like, man, I, I, my desire to to pray and to have a vibrant prayer life. And you read these books about people that would like spend their, their you know, days and days and days just seeking God. And you're like, that sounds cool, maybe. But like, I just, what does that really look like? Like, how does that work? Because every time I've tried to get better at prayer, it's like a flashback of a PTSD moment of looking at my future wife dancing and saying, so, do you know who I am? And you're like, dadgummit, like that's it. I don't talk like that. I don't say things like that. Why in the world did I just do that? Well, the good news is if you feel like you don't know how to move forward in your prayer life, you are not alone. Can we all just take a deep breath? It's like we're, we're not alone. We're so not alone that the disciples of Jesus actually asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Luke 11 verse 1, it says, one day the disciples were praying, or excuse me, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. When the disciples encountered Jesus's prayer life, they realized that there was something happening there that was not happening in their prayer life. And so they came to Jesus and said, would you please teach us what you're doing? Because how you're praying, I want to pray that way. Now, Jesus' response to them is important for us because his response is the Lord's Prayer. But that was not the first time the disciples were taught this model. So Jesus did not look at them in their confusion of, God, would you teach us to pray and say, we've already been over this. You should know this. Peter, you're a great talker, dude, like over-talker, right? Like it, it, the, they were coming to him saying, I know I've been around it. I've been taught about it. I've heard the principles of it. But there's something that's happening when you pray 
that's not happening when I pray. And so Jesus looked at them in compassion, not in condemnation. And he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. And we will also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. The first time the disciples would have encountered this prayer that is known as the Lord's Prayer would have been in Matthew 6, Jesus' first sermon that was ever spoken at the onset of the public announcement of his ministry on the earth. Jesus not answering a question but stating the rhythm. This is the, the interesting thing is that when the disciples said teach us to pray, his desire was to bring them back to the rhythm that he had already been preaching about. Matthew 6 was the inaugural message on many things in the life of a believer. But prayer finds its way in this sermon as well. And Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, in the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Prayer is the one thing I think that we can all agree on in our spiritual development that we want to grow in. It's a universal growing area in the life of a believer. For those who've dedicated their entire life to prayer would answer the question, are you satisfied with your prayer life the exact same way as someone who maybe doesn't pray at all? They would say, no. I feel like there is still more. Because there is hunger and mystery that is built into what prayer really is. Because as we grow towards godliness, so does our capacity to understand and desire to pray. Richard Foster, the theologian and writer, wrote in the book, The Celebration of Disciplines. Um, he, excuse me, he wrote the book, Celebration of Disciplines, and he also wrote many other books on the spiritual disciplines. One of them is on prayer in which he says that how you see and understand prayer is directly co correlated to your spiritual maturity. How you see and understand prayer is directly correlated to your spiritual maturity. Simply put, our prayer life reveals to us the depth of our spiritual life. Our prayer life reveals to us the depth of our spiritual life. How many uh, remember when we first started praying, it felt very transactional. The very first understanding of prayer that we have is that prayer is 
a transaction that I need to ask and then I will receive. It's, it's this idea that I, I need to ask God for things and then he is going to then give me things. Now hear me, this is not wrong, but our transactional understanding of prayer is incomplete. God does hear and answers, but how God answers and, and is faithful to hear us we will interpret his response by the spiritual maturity of our understanding of what prayer really is. James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is a good question that you can just ask in general. Like, what causes fights and quarrels among you? This is going to be a scripture that I'm going to have my family memorize. I'm going to have my kids memorize this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Make a list. Let's realize how dumb it is and let's just stop it. <laughs> this is not a parenting talk. I apologize. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But listen, transactional understanding of prayer is not wrong. It's just incomplete. James is taking us into our understanding of what a mature picture of prayer is in this next verse. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means intimacy with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There's a pattern of the world and there's a pattern of heaven that we are to be transformed and not conformed by the pattern of the world, but be transformed and made new by the renewing of our mind. James is connecting the motivation and understanding of the pattern of the world that is in us and how it shapes the desires that are in us as well. James is saying your motivation to receive is greater than your motivation to encounter. Your motivation to receive is greater than your motivation to encounter. And in this stage of transactional understanding of what prayer is, we get frustrated at what we call unanswered prayers. Things that we ask for yet did not receive. Anybody else? And we get frustrated. But hear me, our frustration is misplaced. Because prayer isn't the issue. It's our immature understanding of prayer that we're operating from that is the issue. In, in this stage, we see the nearness of God as his provision. If God provides for me, then God is close to me. But as we mature and grow in him, we begin to see his presence, his nearness as his provision. This is why prayer is transforming, transformative. The promise when we pray, when we cry out to the Lord, is that he will hear us. And he will always respond to us. 
But in his wisdom, he doesn't always give us what we think we need. And as we grow in godliness, our desire to need to know what our prayers are doing gets replaced as we mature and see that our prayer is not a transaction, it's an encounter with the one who sees us. God knows us, he hears us, and he's wiser than us. To quote, to quote the great Garth Brooks, I thank God for unanswered prayers. I asked for some things I'm glad I didn't get. I asked for some people when I was single. I am glad I did not get. I, I thank God for unanswered prayers. I begged God for some stuff that I thought mattered. The looking back, I've said, God, thank you that you heard my cry. But in your wisdom, you did not give me what I asked for, but what I needed. As our heart grows in godliness, we will see our understanding of prayer begin to transition from being this idea of prayer as a transaction to what is called the prayer stage of the transfer of wills. That our depth of maturity in God will bring us from this understanding that prayer is an ask and receive simple get or not an unanswered prayer or an answered prayer into that when we're engaging the heart of God that there is a transfer of wills Jesus modeled this stage of prayer for us in Luke 2 and Luke 22 verse 42 when he was in agony thinking about the coming suffering that he was about to endure on the cross he prayed father if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus' desire, his will in that moment, his fleshly desire, was that the, the suffering that was to come would be removed from him. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. His will was, I don't want to do it. But his prayer was not, God, would you stop this? His prayer was, God, you have this. This is the power of our understanding of prayer as a moment of will transfer, a transferring of wills. And at this stage of in our prayer lives, we see prayer not about what we get, but about who we get. And as we come to him and we lay our hearts out before him, our hearts move towards him and we begin to understand more of him. Jeremiah 33 verse 2. This is what the Lord says. Who has made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And tell you great and unsearchable things. You do not know. When we pray, God hears us, he responds to us, and he reveals great and unsearchable things to us. He will answer us with great and unsearchable things that we didn't know. The practice of prayer is a gift for us to draw closer 
to God. And as we lean into him, the pattern of the world gets rubbed off of us as his will and his grace get rubbed on us. God uses prayer in our lives to reveal himself to us. This is why Paul admonishes us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Because the more we pray, the more of the heart of God that we will see. Which I believe takes us into yet another phase in our understanding of prayer and that prayer is more about listening and being unmoving than shouting and being easily wavering. The challenge to pray continuously is not a challenge to talk continuously to God. It's a challenge to be in consistent and constant conversation with God. Where we are engaging with him and his heart and his will for us in all that we do. Remember what Jesus said when he taught on prayer in Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites that just love to pray and stand in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into a room, close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Listen to how he even talks about how many words that we say. He's like, don't keep on babbling like pagans. I got to listen to all that. That's kind of, I hear the divinity of Jesus in that, like, dude, you're killing me. No, I'm joking. Like, that's not, that's my flesh. That would be my flesh, that, that my understanding. Right? No, he's like, look, don't. don't think that there's a connection to how many words that you use and the answer that you're going to receive. Because prayer is about encounter and conversation. It's not about request and action. And so intercession can be sitting quietly before the Lord. It's not just talking, it's listening. So then how do we do it, right? I mean... The same desire that drove the disciples to Jesus in Luke 11, verse 1, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. I think we're all feeling that right now. We're like, okay, so how do we do it? Like, how then do we pray? I want to tap into the power of prayer in my life. But the desire to practice doesn't always line up with what it feels like when I'm doing it. And this is where I want us to camp for the remainder of our time This morning, I I want us to dive into Jesus' words on both encounters with the disciples in teaching them about prayer and then encouraging them along the way and reminding them how to pray. And that is with the Lord's Prayer. I, I believe the Lord's Prayer is loaded with power and purpose in our everyday lives, not just at the beginning of football games. Because the Lord's prayer is a model of prayer. Jesus is not giving us a prayer to simply pray. Jesus is giving us a model on how to pray. That's what the Lord's prayer is. Jesus says that, start by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to greatly revere. It means holy. It's it's to get lost in him. I like to think very simply that this is the stage of the Lord's prayer that's called adoration. We're adoring God. 
we're, we're, we're starting not with what we desire, but with who we desire. Like, God, we want to encounter you. You are amazing. I love to sit and just to think about the bigness of God and allow the bigness of God to bring encouragement, to silence the, the accusations, the lies, the things that are swirling in our hearts and our minds by just dwelling on a God who loves me so much that he paid the ultimate sacrifice for this moment to be experienced. So that, so that we each could encounter him in a personal way throughout our day. Jesus loved us so much that he suffered, died, and then conquered death so that that could be how we live. God wants to encounter you more than you want to encounter him. And as we've talked about in simplicity, that practice, oftentimes it's slowing the rhythm of our life down so that we can hear what heaven is saying all the time. That we start, how do we pray? We start by adoring him. We take a deep breath. We slow down the, the chaos in our minds. We focus on the bigness of God who loves us and sits in heaven enthroned above us in all of his majesty and power. We look at that and we adore him. And as we adore him, then we have the invitation to confess the sins that are in us that separate us from him. Jesus says that we need to pray, forgive us our debt as we also forgive our debtors. What adoration does is it brings to light the areas within us that are shadowy. Isaiah 6 had a moment where he was thrusted into the presence of God, into the throne room of God. And what came out of him was, whoa, I'm an unclean man. No one said that to him. But when you're face to face with holiness and righteousness and beauty, the brokenness, the depravity, the sin that so easily entangles us is revealed to us. Not to bring condemnation, but to give us an invitation into repentance and forgiveness. We see who he is and who we are not, and it drives us to say, God, oh, you are so much better, and I can't believe it, but you allow my mercy to be new every morning. We confess our sin, our shortcomings. Man, uh, look, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time confessing that I got frustrated at my kids. Right? I wanna, God, I don't want to act like that. I want to be more patient. You know, and, and we have to forgive others. Can I get an amen? This is where you can't walk around life pissed at everybody and think that you're okay. Doesn't matter how justified your frustration, anger, and bitterness is because of the pain that was caused to you. It is killing you from the inside out regardless of what happened. And so Jesus says, ask for forgiveness for you and ask for forgiveness for everybody who's hurt you. Why? Because we want to ascend the hill of the Lord. We want to enter into his presence. We want to become more godly. We want the godliness to just grow in us, the spiritual maturity to, to just expand within us. And that's not going to happen. We can't ascend the hill of the Lord unless we have what? Clean hands and a pure heart. 
And how do we get clean hands and a pure heart? We have to confess and then receive forgiveness and grace. And so how do we pray? We start with adoration. And then we go into a time of confession. And as we confess our sins, we enter into a season of thankfulness. We become thankful not just of the grace that we are experiencing, but I also think it's important that you remind yourself daily of the provision of God and the goodness of God in your life. I think sometimes we don't thank God enough for the little things as we're waiting for big things. So I thank God every day that I got to wake up. What a gift. Another day. Thank God for what he's provided for us. That we can eat little things, man. That I have an espresso machine. Praise God. You know, like I, because here's the thing. Thanksgiving is a heart position. It's, it's something that we bring into our circumstances. It's not evoked because of our circumstances. How do we know that? It's because we can actually be in a situation where we've been given a lot and not be thankful. <laughs> because Thanksgiving is actually a position that we come into circumstance in life with. It's not something that happens because of what circumstance has given us in life. And so it's, we need to thank Jesus. Jesus said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You're in control on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then we step into the invitation to pray for those around us. Theological word for it is supplication, that we would stand on behalf of others. That we would pray on behalf of others. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Jesus didn't say, oh, pray this, that you would not. He says, no, no, no. He makes it us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 1 Timothy 2 says it this way, I urge you then, First of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peacefully in quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's important that we pray for those who God has given us to walk life with. Our family, our authority, our leadership. Man, I, I feel like we've kind of lost this invitation to pray for those who are in authority over us, specifically in, in government, because now we don't pray for them. We either pray for their demise, that God would remove them, right? And then put somebody else in. That's like... And it's been the power of praying for those in authority has been stolen as we've gotten politically polarized. What if we didn't complain about President Biden, but we prayed for him? Regardless who the president is. Like, what, what if we 
said, I'm going to take this frustration maybe, wherever you are on the, the, the spectrum here, and I'm going to say, God, give him what he needs. Speak to him. Do you know throughout history, God has woken up leaders who are not believers with prophetic dreams. Because God loves them and he loves us more than we hate them. <laughs> so we, this is a weapon. It keeps our heart clean. Why? Because what prayer is, is an inner world ordering rep weapon. We seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be put in their rightful place. I'll end with this story because the need to, to, to tarry, that, that word to, to fight for, to stand in the gap for people that are around us is, a, is an important skill that, that I think that as a general rule in the church, we've lost our ability to fight long battles be, because we, we live in a, a news cycle battle mindset. And so we, we don't continue to fight for one thing, we just keep fighting everything. But I think it's important that we, that we tarry in prayer, specifically for those who are around us. And I'll never forget when we moved to Austin, my daughter Sophie was old enough to have friends to say goodbye to. Right? It's a whole different deal, man. Like, I love being adventurous and I love like changing things and flipping around. But then when your kids are getting uprooted from friends and, oh, Right, and I'll never forget sitting. We had been in Austin for a couple of months, and like Sophie's just crying on the couch, and she's just like, Dad, I don't have any friends. I don't have any godly friends. You hear your kids saying that? You're just like, what have I done to you? You know? I'm like, what do you want? You want a pony? You want money? You want a plane? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'll figure it out. You know, like I'll enter into a life of crime. Just stop crying. You know, like, I'm sorry. And I got reminded that I didn't just need to feel hopeless, but I'd been given a weapon to feel hopeful in my need. And that's the inner world ordering weapon of prayer. And so I started every day. I would go on a walk every day and I would pray for that entire mile for Sophie to have amazing friends in school that love Jesus that she could charge heaven with be encouraged by, and it, it was a lot of listening and not a lot of talking. I was like, God, you know what I need. You know what, you know what Sophie needs. You care about her more than I care about her, and you care about her growth and development as a person. You care about her growth and development as a, as a spiritual person. God, give her friends, give her relationships, give her people that she can run with. And I'll never forget, like it was about four months of doing that every day. That Sophie comes home and like all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this like friendship group had like bubbled over. And there's all these girls at her school that they love Jesus and they love each other and they share the gospel and more friends are getting saved. And like, it's just like this crazy thing that is happening. I remember I went and picked her up from school and I was, you know, classic dad moment. Showed up super late and I'm like, there, she's sitting on the bench with this other girl. I'm like, Sophie, I'm sorry, you want another pony? You know, like, 
And she was like, no, Dad, I'm so glad you're late because that was one of my friends. And I just got to share the gospel with her. And she just gave her life to Jesus. Can we pick her up for life, for life group? And I was like, no, nah, we don't give rides to life group. Are you kidding me? Are they going to pay you? And I was like, yes! Right, here's the thing. Did I move God or did God move me? Does it matter? Can I say that? Does it matter? No. All I know is that I brought my petition to the Lord trusting that my win was that my, I would encounter him and my daughter would encounter him. And that he had a plan for her to prosper her and not to harm her. And so I could trust that even if she's in a season of difficulty, that God is hearing my prayers and he has a plan to use what she's going through to build within her what she needs to become. So what felt like unanswered prayer for four months was actually positioning so that when the breakthrough happened, I got to not just rejoice with God, but look at my daughter and say, you know what, prayer works. Like dad has been praying for you to have a group of friends that love Jesus, that are going to chase heaven with you, that it's going to be people that you can run with in school that love Jesus. And look what God did. He gave you this friendship circle. God did that, right? And we all got to rejoice because prayer works. So my challenge this week is we've been wanting to not just be people that hear about the practices, but practice the practices. Here's my challenge. Wherever you are in your prayer journey, if you don't pray at all or if you pray for 12 hours a day, what I want you to do is pray the model of Jesus for one week. Pray the model of Jesus for one week. Adore him. Confess to him. Be thankful for him. And then to be those who pray for those around us, right? It's the Acts model of prayer. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Just use the model of Jesus and pray every week through how Jesus said, hey, when you pray, this is how you need to pray. Amen? Because when we pray, we get changed. Yes, prayer changes things, but more important, prayer changes me. And so we want to practice the practice of prayer because we are wanting to mature in our godliness to move forward in our relationship with Him. We don't just want to have an immature understanding of prayer that is transactional. We want to see our understanding of prayer as being a place where our will gets transferred with His and that we step into listening to His voice versus just rattling off our needs. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you that you've given us this incredible opportunity to be people that seek first the kingdom of heaven and can trust that everything else is going to be added. God, thank you that you've given us this invitation to be people who pray, to seek heaven, to adore you, to be able to confess our sins to you, to become thankful for what you've done for us and what you're continuing to provide for us, and then to stand in the gap, God, for the things that, that we believe that your kingdom is not the way it needs to be. It's like there's a space between what's happening and what we're called to believe for that we can stand in that place and be unmoved because prayer changes us as prayer changes everything. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's